This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Our future will come from connecting with ourselves and taking the action we feel drawn to. Trust yourself. I'm asking for you to express yourself in the fullest, because that's what I and the world need. You to be yourself. It is time to take full responsibility for your actions and become curious about the world more than ever before. It is time to take your life in your own hands, away from the distractions of the past. Put fear aside and let go of the anxiety that complexity can bring. It is time to upgrade yourself and allow your powers to emerge. Build resilience to resist the negative media cycle and the lure of extractive algorithms. And be aware of giving yourself too much choice or too many conveniences. Valeria Telles interviews Sini Ninkovich the author of Untethered, Overcome Distraction, Build Healthy Digital Habits, and Use Tech to Create a Life You Love. The average person consumes over 12 hours of media per day. 88% of Americans feel uneasy leaving their phone at home. It is all too common to hear that our technology has taken over our lives. But what if the problem isn't your smartphone, but just the way you're using it? After a lifelong struggle with digital dependency, Cine quit his job at Apple to live in a van and began a long journey toward freedom from technology. But in the process, he learned that the key to inner peace was not found in removing technology from his life, but in rethinking his relationship with it. Along the way, he spoke with countless industry experts, attended intensive mediation retreats, and became a certified digital wellness educator. The tools he discovered were so transformative that sharing them with the world has become his personal mission. In his groundbreaking and practical new guide to digital freedom, tech guru turned wellness instructor, Sini Ninkovich, argues that there are counterintuitive mindsets and methods for transforming your relationship with technology and your life along with it. Cine's work and mission is to help you redefine your routines, develop healthier digital habits, and live a more fulfilled life in control of your attention. It will show how your smartphone and the apps on it can captivate you, how you can upgrade your mind to move away from this dependency, and these tools will help you regain control over your habitual smartphone usage to create a more fulfilled future. Meet Cine at AskCine.com. Here is the interview with Cine Ninkovich. 
in your own words, who is Sini Nikonvich? Wow, that's a great question. For me, it's somebody who loves to explore, primarily trying new things out, exploring old experiences more deeply, but on a on a more uh, obvious and like worldly note, it's somebody who is is really trying to help people. Um, I'm trying to help people overcome distractions, create healthy digital habits. The average American spends 14, uh, 14 and a half hours connected to media, and um, I want to help them regain some of that time back. What an interesting mission to have, especially given the, this time, the pandemic, and we are in a way forced to be at home more around television, devices, phones, computers, and work from home. So that's a neat, very, very powerful mission to have. And, and I have lots of questions for you, Sinny, to explore that topic. But before that, let me ask you this question, another open question. What do you want from life at this time? What do you wish to have or to experience? Yeah, in, in terms of experiences, I've always been a fan of, of exploring of exploring new things and also old things more deeply. So there isn't necessarily worldly possessions that I'm, that I'm after, like a nice car or a bigger house or, or the traditional things. It's, it's more, um, yeah, the, an example, last weekend I was in, in Dallas uh, for the second time in my life and I tried out new restaurants and I went to a new park and, and, and I just tried out new things, met new people. And I feel that exploration is at the core of life. And so I'm just trying to continuously keep that alive as I'm getting older, um, because I think it's kind of the, the secret sauce that a lot of people are missing. So true. I love that idea because then it, it kind of creates that space for more possibilities, right? We don't live out of habits, conditionings, and programmings, which is so easy to do, isn't it? To wake up and do the it's same very thing. Easy. Very easy to fall into that. So how do you define success these days, Sini? Wow, you're asking all the hard questions in the beginning. <laughs> yes, the open <laughs> questions, my favorites. <laughs> nice. Well, success for me has something to do with uh, living a fulfilled life. So I spend, you know, I spend about 10 years working for, for the most successful tech companies, consulting companies, automotive companies. And I spend a lot of these 10 years working really, really hard hours earning great money and and also gaining great experiences, but not always living in full fulfillment with myself. And it's only been about two years that I readjusted my life around the idea of exploration and fulfillment. And this idea of, of generating long-term happiness has, has brought me to write this book and has brought me to completely changing my career. So I would say a successful person is somebody who can live most of their days in a state of fulfillment and purpose. And what does it look like? What does it feel like to become fulfilled, as you say? Mm -hmm. Can you describe well, that? The, sure. I think the most noticeable difference, to me at least, is that I wake up excited. Right? I wake up um, feeling a purpose for what I'm here to give, what I'm here to do. Um, 
and that that makes everything else kind of fall in place. And it's actually pretty aligned to uh, some of the topics that I'm talking about in my book and that we will get into in a bit around the idea how we should be relating or can be relating to our smartphones in future. I think it's very much related to the idea of how do we relate to our own future selves. Um, and I think the concept of fulfillment is the one that helps the most because it changed my life in a way where I, instead of waking up in anxiety and stress about the day that is going to come, I'm waking up with excitement of what I can give back to the world. That's beautiful. And you just mentioned also the word purpose, the idea of, of having a purpose. What do you think the purpose of the human experience is? <laughs> it's it's actually, uh, a, I'm laughing because it's a, a chapter in my book um, where I talk about the purpose of, of life or at least the way that I have experienced purpose. And, you know, from a, from a biological perspective, and I'm approaching this as rational as I can, um, is the idea of biology wants us to multiply our genes. And while we do so, our genes test out different, different variations of itself. So basically, in my understanding, life is trying itself out in, in different ways of being in this world. And some ways are working better, some ways are working less, but life is all about trying all of these different ways. And I think as, as humans, we should kind of follow that core principle and, and really take exploration as one of the, the, the guiding principles, the, the overarching purpose maybe of life, the idea of exploring what we can be in different situations and how we can act and, and what interests us. I think there is so much individuality in all of us that only comes out when we explore the boundaries of who we are. That's a, an interesting answer. So the idea that life itself, it's exploring itself, it's experimenting itself, and it's always evolving. I love this idea, and I believe in energy. So it's like energy moving, dancing, and doing what it does. I wonder, how can we change that? Is that something that we have actual control over? Because from my perspective, it seems like we don't have control over that movement of life, of doing what it does. Yeah, well, well I think it's easy to fall uh, within of the constraints of society, right? Society gives us basically a, a schema in which we can easily fit in. And when we fall into that schema, the chances are that we will become a great citizen of, of the world and a great citizen of society. But maybe there is a chance that we will uh, be less close to our own selves, right? And so then as we grow up, we kind of start to distinguish what is other people and what is society and what is actually our own needs and desires. And so I think once that awareness and that consciousness arises, it, it becomes our duty to explore that other part that we've kind of neglected for, for some part of our lives at least. And um, so I think consciousness is probably one part of the solution, the awareness of um, how much of us is other people and other people's opinions versus our own being. And once that awareness arises, the second step is obviously taking, taking steps into the direction of, of uh, personal development and, and allowing one's personality to, to, to truly come out and shine. And I think when people go down the route of exploring their personality deeply, they will also find the gifts that they're about to bring to this world. So it becomes a, a journey of, of self-discovery that ends in delivering the gifts that we're here to, to deliver. Going back to this idea of purpose, is that would be like um, trees? I love the idea of 
relating ourselves to nature itself. Mm -hmm. So when I think about humans, I think of myself, actually. I think about a tree, uh, let's say an apple tree that can only grow apples. I cannot grow oranges or grapes or anything else. And then it seems like you're trying to point to that, right, Sini? That we can become aware that we are that kind of tree specifically, so we can explore what kind of fruits we can give, what kind of gifts, as you said. Yeah, we can. I love that analogy. I mean, uh, trees trees are obviously very specialized in what they do. And I think uh, us humans, there is there's so many facets, so many perspectives to our own being, um, which is why I think we're often so underexplored because we're what happens often to us is we're searching for this one thing that we're good at. But the truth is, most of us are great at many things, right? And if we just focus on this, like one tree of, of, of becoming an apple tree solely, I feel like that might work for a few years, but then that apple tree wants to morph into, into something else and become, you know, a butterfly or just show its personality from different perspectives. Right. Um, but when I think of trees personally, I think the biggest thing we can learn about trees is how to enjoy life without this need to be constantly moving, right? There is so much exploration that can happen right here where we are um, in our neighborhoods or within of ourselves. It doesn't have to mean that we have to travel the world the entire time to be exploring. Exploration, it can be inward as much as outward. That's a very interesting perspective. So in a way, you're saying that we can become, we can do, we have many gifts and we can do many things, not just one thing, like trees do. They specialize absolutely. in one thing. That's all they do, really. That's an interesting perspective. And I absolutely agree because that's the nature of the mind, right? It's constantly moving and adapting and very open to everything. It's incredibly open. Absolutely. Constantly changing. Yeah, the mind can be easily influenced. Um, so my other question for you is, oh, I have so many here, I have two. Yeah, this one. You wrote, I think I saw that in the description of your book, one of which, there are so many phrases there, but you say one of the objectives of your book, the purposes, one of the advices you give, actually suggestions, to pursue a path of self-realization that goes beyond the digital and into the spiritual. So talk to me for a moment about what spirituality is to you and if you have any spiritual beliefs and practices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, spirituality is this, is this fa fascinating in-between world for me because uh, there, is, there is our rational reality that we're enforcing on a daily basis and then there is religion and somewhere in between uh, we find spirituality and depending on where one comes from, there's always, uh, there are always certain um, attitudes towards it, right? That can be either positive or negative. Um, for me personally, I've always tried to explore life from a very rational perspective until I um, had experiences that are harder to explain, uh, which made me realize that there is probably an element of us that is um, all connected and, and way beyond our rational mind. Um, and once I think most of us will run into that situation and at that point, uh, one can decide to either run into religion and that's an okay way of, of executing one's own spirituality or uh, explore oneself more deeply and, and connect with whatever higher being purpose or, or uh, the universe itself, uh, whatever you want to call the thing you're connecting to. Um, I think that's 
that's what happens to most of us once we make those experiences. For me, the specific the specific experience that I'm talking about is um, I did a, a 2019 idea to be passing a 10-day silent meditation retreat where you kind of meditate for 11, 12 hours per day. You're not talking to anybody. You're not able to touch anybody physically. So it's a very like solo journey, but within of a bigger group of people. Um, and, and in that experience, um, I, by day three, what happened to me, my inner voice was just so loud because I wasn't hearing other voices anymore. Um, that the insights that I was generating, they weren't insights coming from my mind. They were, I would describe them as knowing they weren't necessarily words either. They were just a felt experience of knowing what I had to do. And um, that's harder to explain for the mind where some such a knowing is coming from, from because our mind is great in the thinking process, right? It's it's so capable at as at describing thoughts in, in matter of words, but thoughts are never certain. And so we're in this constant um, modality of, of slight uncertainty versus knowing feels uh, feels way be beyond thoughts. It's, it's just a certainty that, that the mind can't really produce. That sounds wonderful to me, that space that if we can be there, that space of knowing. And I wonder, what is that kind of knowledge about, Sini? What it comes to you relating to that idea of knowing? Well, what came to me personally, and I think this is different for everybody, there was there was an idea of purpose and what I was supposed to to bring to the world for the next few years. In my specific case, that was, you know, I just finished my, my job at Apple in 2019 and I was kind of feeling burned out and had a sense of purposelessness um, after spending so many years in, in the tech world. And then when I did the Vipassana, by day three, this this inner knowing just made pretty clear to me what I'm what I'm here to do, which was uh, one of the main lessons I heard was the idea of, of educating, teaching, speaking and writing a book about our relationship with technology, especially the relationship with our smartphone, which is this first device that we're truly in relationship with, that we carry around wherever we go. And I wanted to to dig a little bit deeper, do some research, talk to thought leaders and, and really figure out what the future looks looks like with this device that is taking over more and more of our lives. Yeah, and I'll be asking you questions about it in the moment. I have one last warm-up question. What is freedom to you? What is your understanding of freedom, Sini? Well, you, you're literally asking the hardest question at the end. Um, Freedom is fascinating because because obviously we live in a society where freedom has a very, very important meaning for the entirety of, of society. Um, in in my concept, it's the the idea to be able to make your own decisions. Uh, whether you follow through with them or not is a different question, but to make your own decisions feels very freeing to me. Obviously, financial freedom is, is a big perspective, but I think the freedom of the mind is is significantly more important than even financial freedom as we as we know from a lot of studies um, one does not have to be a millionaire to feel free one does not even have to be uh, earning high incomes to to feel free it's more the question of of the mind and how we position our our this construct of body mind and soul in this world in order to feel uh, the ability to make our own decisions and to lay out our own path you wrote the book Unfeathered, 
overcome distraction, build healthy digital habits, and use tech to create a life you love. So talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Sini. Yeah, sure. So the the idea, as I just mentioned, came during a Vipassana retreat 2019. But um, I, I had... I had problems with tech dependency for as long as I can think, basically. I, I remember distinctly getting my own computer at the age of 12 and starting to play online games. And at some point I was playing more than I was ever in school. Um, and that followed through into my uh, young adult years until some of my roommates were just fed up with it and told me what, uh, what my experience of life was lacking, right? Um, and so I gave up, I gave up computer games for about eight years, uh, and then returned back to them a few years ago. Uh, cause a friend of mine just, just told me that there was this awesome new game that you can play on an iPad. And I thought to myself after eight years, I must have figured it out by now, but, uh, it took me only 10 days to get to 10 hours of gameplay per day. So the, the games that we experience today, the apps that we're seeing today, in my opinion, are not significantly better than they were a decade ago. But what they are able to do so much more effectively is keep us engaged and keep us in the environment. And that's why we see the average American in 2017 spending 10 and a half hours with, uh, connected to media and in 2020 spending 14, sorry, 13 and a half hours connected to media. So it's, it's, we're adding about a, an hour, 50 minutes to an hour every single year. And we're now pushing against the boundaries of sleep. So where is it going to go from here, right? We're, we're literally pushing against human boundaries. And so in 2019, I had a chance to, uh, to speak to Tristan Harris, a friend of mine who is the founder of the Center for Human Technology and has brought out the social dilemma that was one of the most successful Netflix documentaries of all times. Um, and many people have seen it. it. It describes the problem that we're all facing. And I was certainly inspired by his work as much as I was inspired by Vipassana. And then as I was researching this this field, it became so clear to me that uh, there is a different way that we can relate to our phones. And all the advice that I read so far, I think has an, a, a, an approach to this problem that is not future proof. I'm about to ask you the question, what is the best way to relate to, uh, to the phones and everything? That's the question, right? The main question, I would say. But before that, so you are a digital wellness educator and coach. What is it like to work with you? And do you meet clients online, offline? You host meetings on Zoom? Yeah, absolutely. So, so far, um, my book is, is obviously my biggest platform and it's uh, led me to amazing conversations like this one or going to conferences and giving speeches. Um, that's been my most uh, successful educational tool. I do one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching as well. Those are typically uh, one session every two weeks with clients to really hone in on the rituals and the habits they have uh, in every single day. I'm currently working on courses, uh, which are going to be seven-day challenges to help people regain an hour in their everyday life after just seven days. Um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that that will will really help people regain the time that they deserve uh, to hone in on the relationships that truly matter. So you speak of time a lot. So in a way, we are wasting time with this giving attention to computer games because I love 
to uh, connect with the internet. That's what I do, like this podcast, and I have a website, and I write books. Sure. But this is all I do, really, though. I kind of, I come here to do this, what, uh, what gives me the sense of purpose, as we talked earlier. And then that's it. And then I'll go on doing some other things that I, my husband, my dog, and then nature, exercise, and all that. So what is that about some of us that, especially kids, that they get hooked in a way to the media life, as you call it, the digital life. Yeah, talk to me about that. The, the cause is today. I think you mentioned briefly about that there's something that's more engaging now. So yeah, I, I don't know anything about it, Cine, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah, absolutely. Where do I start here? Uh, <laughs> right, I think, right. <laughs> I think the easiest, yeah. uh, the easiest point probably to start is to say everybody has their own apps of desire. Do you, the, the things that hook us are different for everybody. You know, some people have alcohol addictions, some people be, become dependent on drugs, and some people become uh, over dependent on food, right? So it's what hooks us is different for everybody. It's it's similar in the digital world. I know people who whose Gmail app is the most addictive app on their phone, which sounds so silly to me, but that is a reality for some people. And for me, it was always YouTube. And I know that for a lot of teens, it's social media, whether that's Snapchat, Facebook, or whatever they're using these days. Um, so what hooks us is different. I think it also depends kind of on the stages of life and, and what we prefer. But, but what is obvious in the data is that uh, teens as they are trying to figure out who they are in this world and, and where they see themselves and the, the worthiness, there is there is a tendency to compare with other people where they're at, right? We've all experienced that as teens where we were trying to fit into a group and be part of a community. And that is so challenging as a teen because one does not know themselves well enough to really position themselves in the community. And so that's where social media kicks in. It becomes really, really easy to see the better lives, at least the portrayed better lives that other people are living. Um, and so the center uh, for, I think, disease control in, in Canada, Ontario, they are bringing out a survey uh, among middle school kids every two years, and they're asking mental health questions. And between 2017 and 2019, this, this survey asked, also asked the kids how much time they spend in front of uh, screens. And between 2017 and 2019, the time increased about 20 by about 20 percent. And at the same time, we saw an increase in in mental health issues, in physical health issues, in depression, in suicidal thoughts between 20 and 40 percent increase uh, in the same amount of time. Right. And so it, it there seems to be some correlation between kids spending more time in front of their screens and also feeling worse about themselves mentally, emotionally, and from a from a physical perspective. And the main issue is that they don't know what they want from life. That's not clear. They cannot answer that question. What do you want from life? They don't know yet. In your book, you say something interesting that relates to that. Towards the end, there's a, a line there that says, our future will come from connecting with ourselves and taking the action we feel drawn to. Trust yourself. I'm asking for you to express yourself in your fullest because that's what I and the world need, you to be yourself. That's the challenge because we have this desire to connect with others and to please them and to belong somewhere, as you said, too. So I wonder how do we balance that, the desire to connect and to belong in this grounded 
feeling of knowing who we are? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. For me, it all starts. So my journey basically started about two and a half, two years ago, where I redefined a relationship with my phone. And what I figured out for myself was that my phone isn't actually a device, right? Most people think of it as a device, but I actually think it's the first time we're in a true relationship with a technological device. Um, that's closer comparable to a romantic relationship or the relationship with your parents or the relationship with our siblings. I think that's closer to that type of relationship. And it didn't need us to have robots that are talking to us. It's a different type of relationship. But what makes it like a relationship is the idea that, uh, for example, the, you know, the closest five, 10 people in our lives kind of make up who we are. And similar with our phone, the, the most used five to 10 apps will define the personality of our phone. And right now, it seems to me that what we're doing is wherever we're going, we're bringing this partner with us and we're insecting the partner in between us and other people. It's the equivalent of somebody who has a huge crush on a romantic partner and brings them everywhere they're going, but is at the same time disconnecting with their friends while doing that. We've been doing that now for a decade, right? And so it makes it very easy to feel disconnected with the people we're in person with because we're always intersecting this other in between that is trying to connect us. I mean, truly this machine is just trying to connect us with other people. But when we're then in person with them, we still try to make those connections online. And so if we start thinking about this device as a relationship in our life, a lot of the simple questions become easy to answer. Like, should I be using my device while I'm in a bathroom? Well, would you bring your parents with you into the bathroom? You probably wouldn't, right? Or would you wake up your device at 2 a.m. to ask what the weather is going to be tomorrow? Well, would you bug your sister at 2 a.m. to ask that question? You probably wouldn't, right? And so if you or if you know where to go, uh, how, to, how to grab food in your neighborhood without needing a GPS, why would you bring that partner with you? Wouldn't it be easier if you bring back the food instead of bringing the other with you? So all these questions are easy to answer once we accept the idea that we are in relationship with this device. And that also means when we're in person with other people, well, I don't want my parents to be part of every of my relationship. I don't want my romantic partner to be part of every relationship. So when I'm in person with other people, then I'm already achieving what my phone is enabling me to do, which is connecting with others more deeply. That is such an important message. And we have seen that, you right? That happens a lot. When you, we go to restaurants, we see people doing that that they have the devices in between them and they are having the relationship, as you say, with the device and not the other person. So do you call that dependency, addiction, bad habit? Have you found a word for it? Yeah, I think everybody has kind of a different word to it. I think addiction has a, a clinical element to it that um, it, it's hard to define whether it is an addiction or not. I would say uh, for sure, there's a, a codependency going on. 90% uh, of us feel anxiety just thinking about leaving our home, at, uh, our phone at home while we're leaving our house. So 90% of us are not able to do that, right? So there is some kind of dependent relationship with our phones. Um, one third of us walks in the streets with our phones in our hands, but only that number halves when there's another person walking next to us. So it's clear that we're trying to replace other people in our lives. Um, it's clear that, that we want that other to 
be with us at all times. But I'm not sure if I would go as far as calling it addiction. There's definitely a dependency that we're building. And I think it comes from this idea that the phone has become, our phone have, have become tense over the past decade, meaning they are beautiful, they are connecting, they're fast, they're uh, good speakers, they do everything so well. And then we, on the other hand, are like fives or sixes, right? And and the advice that we're getting online is basically, how do you make your phone a five or six so you can be in relationship with it? So put it in grayscale mode and delete certain apps and, and get rid of notifications. Those are all ways to make our phone a five or six. But my question is, what would it mean if we became tense as well. There's a section in your book that you call the part two, mindset upgrades. So that's very much makes sense. So we have to upgrade ourselves, our mindsets. Absolutely. I think, and, and you probably know this better than I do, I think we are on this journey as, as a society, as, as, as humanity, whether that's, uh, that's coming through in psychedelic drugs or in, in therapy or in coaching or in people trying to connect more deeply with each other to understand different cultures. We are on this path to like upgrading ourselves. And I think part of the purpose to upgrading ourselves is so that we can actually deal with the technologies that we will have to face in future, but we can't face them if, if our first reaction to it is dependency. What do you see as the main purpose of technology, Sini? Well, I think down the line, we, you know, the internet was created to make us more connected to each other. The internet is the foundation of every device that we use today. So I, I still believe that at the core We've created technology to be closer to each other. And um, if, if, if we carry that belief forward, it becomes also, again, easier to understand how to use our smartphone, right? Unfortunately, it is such a complex device that it's very easy to build other tools on it. And we have to realize that, you know, the, the most used five to 10 apps will define the personality of our phone. So we're co-creators of that personality that our phone has. And depending on what kind of partner we want in our lives, uh, we can actually make decisions towards that future. Ah, wow. What an interesting language you use to talk about technology. I never had this conversation before. This is refreshing. <laughs> so, yeah, I know your book is a guide to creating a healthy relationship with digital technologies and, and also living this unfeathered life as you speak. So what are some of the suggestions you can disclose? I know you've been, you've been talking about lots of them already, but more specifically, if you could, I know listeners will read the book if they want more information. Whatever you can disclose here will be helpful, Sini. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th there's so many different tools and toolboxes that I'm describing in there that are mainly centered around the idea of upgrading ourselves. Um, I, I do talk about settings for our phones as well and stuff like that, but I find that secondary to, to improving our own selves. And two concepts that I can talk about that are probably among my favorite concepts, uh, one is the idea of structural intention. So when when we walk into the average American home, we see a, typically we see a big living room and that big living room is designed around the idea of watching TV, right? There's this big TV in the middle of it and there are couches around it and there's maybe a small table in front of that so we can uh, lay down our glasses while we're watching. So then our kids come home. 
they sit down and they start watching TV and we get angry when that happens. But we've also designed the, the intention behind the design was for somebody to sit down and watch TV. And when our kids fall into that intention, we're angry, right? So what would a living room look like if it was designed around the intention of connecting to each other, or it was designed around the intention of playing with each other, or it was designed around the intention of reading books? Those living rooms would look very differently. A friend of mine had years ago, the idea of designing his living room around connection to other people. And so in his living room, there's no TV, but there are couches and, and kind of floor mats where people lay on in a circular form around a center. And in the center, there are two boxes with a bunch of tools like massage guns and, and, and toys that people can play with and that they can connect to each other while they're playing. And so every time I'm there, I'm exploring a new tool and, and at the same time meeting another person, which is a, a wonderful experience. The Our bedrooms, we actually do a great job with our bedrooms where we have you know a bed and, and blackout curtains. So it's it's the structural intention there is sleep. But then some of us bring a TV into that room, which is a a machine that is shining white light into our eyes, which is the opposite of experience of sleep. So then that entire intention gets gets ripped apart. Right. So one idea is is bringing back structural intention into our everyday living spaces. Yeah. Another idea, and this is actually my favorite one, and I'm probably taking advantage of it for like five to six hours every single day. Um, it's the idea that we are actually horrible when it comes to taking care of ourselves. What I mean by that is, only 8% of uh, New Year's resolutions get achieved by people. Only 8%. Only two out of three people buy medications that are recommended from their doctors to be taking. But when a, when a veterinarian tells us to give certain medication to our pets, nine out of 10 people buy and give that medication to their pets. So we're really good when it comes to taking care of other people. We're quite bad when it comes to taking care of ourselves. And so what if the solution to uh, tech dependency wasn't utilizing more of our willpower to fight the urges, but rather help other people stay in alignment um, with the needs of their future self? For me, that means uh, for about five to six hours every day, I have a friend of mine come to my space. I have this two desk setup and we actually co-work with each other trying to achieve what we are seeing in our future, right? And so I help them make sure that they stay accountable to their future selves. And they at the same time help me to stay accountable to, to my future self. And this shows up in numbers. So for example, when uh, there are statistics that show that when we write down a goal, there's about a 25% chance of us achieving it. When we tell another person that we're trying to achieve a certain goal, that percentage increases to over 50%. Right. So we, we double our chances of success just by involving another person in our lives. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to do that going forward. Um, I'm using apps like uh, Flow Club and Focusmates. Those, those are apps that are providing you accountability buddies to help you become the version of yourself you want to be. It goes back to the idea, beautiful idea of connecting to humans, human beings. I love, absolutely love that. I'm so glad you have learned. You went on, on that journey and you learned the lessons and now you're here teaching us. I love the idea of the, um, the structure of spaces being more receptive to connectivity. 
So designing spaces that will invite that, welcome that idea. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for being you. Thank you, Valeria, for having me. This is a wonderful conversation. We are almost at the end, but I do have a few more questions for you, Sandy, the ending sure. questions. Would you like to add anything else before them or read a passage in your book? I'm actually very excited to hear another few of your open-ended questions because they have been the most fascinating ones I had on any of the podcasts so far. Thank you for the encouragement. The body appreciates <laughs> <laughs> the mind soul here. Uh, let's see. I have too many here. I will ask you this one. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Hmm. The hardest lesson to learn was... Yeah, I think it was accepting the idea that um, I have changed so much that I cannot uh, stay on the path that I you know, worked decades to create. That is probably the hardest lesson to accept the change within of yourself that leads you to a new and, and very uncertain part. And that's very scary in the beginning and it takes some courage to step into that. But um, yeah, ac accepting accepting our own changes, I think, is is probably one of the hardest things to do in general. That's true. Uh, that makes me think about the restructuring the self, upgrading ourselves. That will bring a lot of the, the feeling of discomfort, but that's natural too, of course. And then I'll ask you this one. What is another word for life? Another word for life? Uh, I think love is a great one. I think exploration, universe, I think those are all good, um, good words. And, and, and at the end of the day, when you dig a little bit deeper, they all kind of lead to the same point. They're just different expressions of, of the same experience, I feel. What is your idea of love? What are the manifestations of love from your mm. perspective? Well, I think, um, I think actually the Greeks had a, a really good description of, of love. They had multiple different um, ways of ex expressing it and diff different names for it. So there's there's a love for each other and for friends. There's love for family. There is love for romantic partner. So love love can be uh, expressed in, in very different ways. But at its at its core, it's always the the appreciation, uh, respect and the seeing of others for who they truly are behind uh, behind what you know society sometimes does to them. Ah, if we can come to that point, right, Cindy, to not just accepting others for who they are, but ourselves. Um, oh, my God, that's the hardest, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, unconditional self-love, right? And my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? True love. There's nothing more beautiful than it. Harmony and peace. Thank you so much, Sani, for Absolutely. that intention, beautiful intention. When you're talking about true love, I heard the baby. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, perfect, <laughs> <True>. perfect timing. <laughs> right. So thank right. you so much for sharing your wisdom, doing what you do, having the courage to be yourself and to, um, ah, you're just paving your own path, which I know some people claim that we have many paths, as you said before, mm -hmm. but I do believe in uh, that path of unconditional life, unconditional love. There is one path only, is to get there, if we wish to be at peace. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, totally. My my personal homepage is called AskSini.com. So instead of Ask Siri, it's AskSini. And uh, the other web pages are uh, 
theuntetheredguy.com or theuntetheredbook.com. That's the best way to find me. I'm I'm offering on all my websites. I'm offering a 20 page, a free 20 page guide with my top three favorite strategies to overcome distractions so that can be easily downloaded on any of those websites. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Sunny. Bye for great. now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sinny Ninkovich and his work, please visit AskSinny.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>